Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 288, the No Encore Music Machine and podcast sometimes. Craig Fitzpatrick is with me, kind of, not really. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it, since we were really with each other. Um, lean Machine, to be sure. Happy Friday the 13th. Oh yeah. As people listen to this, yeah. <laughs> what's going to happen? Like, what's, what, what are the do's and don'ts on, on this most superstitious of days you know i've never really had a problem with it i've always kind of liked it obviously some listeners might be listening to this on a different day and then this instantly dates that but you know i guess for some of us it's perpetually friday the 13th okay uh good attitude <laughs> so let's move on with the show then <laughs> it's a it's it's no album review this week although i mean it's strange because i mean i, I feel like there's definitely there was some kind of signal or some kind of beacon sent out into the world um adam maybe you could help me out with this donda baby it's happening yeah i mean like someone He's said it was happening jappy. craig <laughs> um it is uh, happening. and yes it's it, full steam ahead i've been enjoying it um the, the live version for the best part of a week mm. and um, I'm liking what I'm hearing I'm liking the um, amount of effort being put in I'm liking the fact that apparently Kanye's moved stadiums <laughs> have you heard that update I'm not sure to where but yeah yeah and, um, um I, I, I'm running out of patience, Craig, I'll say that much. But you know what's going to happen, right? So, um, bad news, listeners, Craig's taking the show off next week, annual leave, you know, it's his, 
He gets four podcasts <laughs> off a year. And From this the show again. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you, you just know it'll be released the week you're not here. The health right? benefits so, are amazing. <laughs> yeah, and you get good dental as well. So, you know, really like, do. we look after you. Um, yeah, yeah, it's no, guaranteed to drop because <laughs> when I'm yeah. off, it's just guaranteed. Almost yeah. certainly. Well, we'll see what happens. It is not out. And thus, uh, in, in protest, we are not reviewing any other album this week. But don't worry, we'll still make the show 90 minutes long somehow. Uh, we have a great top five, though. It's top five unreleased projects, which is us throwing a little bit of shade Kanye's way, perhaps, or who knows? Maybe, he's in, maybe he inspired greatness from us. But uh, that's later in the show. It's uh, patreon.com slash noancore, by the way, if you would like to get your ears on the latest episode of No Ox Chord, our monthly recommends corner. We have a brand new episode out now over at patreon.com slash noancore. And of course, you know, a little goes a long way. A fiver can keep the show alive for five more years, I think is how that works. So um, see what you think. Check it out. And thanks for your support. As yeah, for this we week... <laughs> Big declaration. Sorry for that abrupt, we love you interjection there. <laughs> no, it's With okay. the delay on Zoom, it's just like... It's okay, it's okay. You're bringing love. That's a good thing. We but, love uh, you. I'm, I'm bringing something else. Adam, hit the sting. Hey, you heard about the good news? Yeah, I'm bringing news. That's right. Adam, hit the other sting. Oh, it's a Ben Bong. Oh, yes. It is, in fact, Electric Picnic News. Uh, they're still trying to make it happen. I should note, by the way, uh, Adam is cooking a meal in his kitchen, and I keep Certainly dragging is. him away from it. So I feel like I'm watching, I've got like another window open with a weird ASMR video on YouTube. It's wonderful, yeah. As he goes yeah. about his work, chopping it's very, and It's very distracting. Like, like, yeah, it's, it's like a Netflix show or something. I think Adam should yeah. have his own. I know, I know he started his own podcast before the encore, of course, and the episode coming at the end of the month. Um, but his, uh, his cooking skills are divine. Uh, what isn't divine, though, is the intervention from the government, because there hasn't been any intervention from the government. They're holding firm. Electric Picnic is still not happening, but I listened to Dennis Desmond of MCD's News Talk interview this week, Craig, and I transcribed the whole thing. Uh, Did he, you actually transcribe that in the running order? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Above and beyond, uh, that, that, that's, that's my work, yeah, I'm being, I'm being a journalist. Um, so, yes, he was asked on the radio on, I think it was Monday morning, um, do you realistically think there's any hope of picking it going ahead? His response was to say, like, we're, we're looking for a reason why it shouldn't. We're looking to engage with the government and be told categorically why not. Of course, this also comes in the same week that up in Belfast, there was thousands of people seeing the likes of Judge Jules, which is still a thing, Tom Jones and various others, and, you know, just down the road here in the Republic, uh, a slap in the face, you could say, because none of that is happening. 200 max no. is the current uh, outdoor capacity, I believe. Um, so yeah, Dennis Esmond pointed out that it would take, you know, at least six weeks to build the site and the infrastructure, so they need to get down there. They're trying to engage with various different people. The thing that stood to me, though, was when he was asked, what happens if they say, okay, Dennis, you can have it, but only 20,000 people can go. How are you going to decide who goes? His response was, no, no, no. 70,000 people is the capacity, fully vaccinated. It doesn't make sense. It's not a viable proposition for do it any less. It's not like Croke Park where they can operate on reduced capacities. Our business, our financial model, we're very much based on needing 90 odd percent sales to break even. Which I guess answers all oh. these questions about whether or not it ever could have been a shrunk down version of the festival. It seems like that was never a goer. And I guess it currently isn't a goer a, in any capacity. Yeah, Garrett Brooks, 70,000 or none at all. <laughs> Funny Which I admire, Park, yeah. Um, but that's it. Yeah. It's not happening. Are you sticking to your story, Dave, which I think is um, holding firm, your your narrative of 
they kind of know in the back of their minds this was never going to happen, but for various reasons, they have to go through this whole charade. And you know what, to be honest, it's worth putting the government's feet to the fire over it. Um, Nyler has been very strong on this. It's, it's getting ridiculous at this point how the industry is still so closed up. But um, are you sticking to the this is all slightly disingenuous line? Of course, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. Uh, common sense would dictate that someone in this position would have to be pulling at all the stops and doing everything they can. I don't know the intricacies of insurance premiums, for instance, but I would have to figure for a monster like Picnic, uh, they need to be told no. Um, if they turn around tomorrow and are like, we're cancelling it, well then surely they'd be out of pocket. I don't know this, but I mean, like, uh, yeah, running a festival seems. sounds like a fucking nightmare. And as I've said before, my sympathies go out to people who are running the festival, particularly those on a grand level and all the people that it affects and the kind of knock-on and all that kind of stuff. Uh, as you say, Nala 9 has been excellent and uh, lots of musicians, lots of promoters have been very, very vocal as well and continue to be. Uh, the roadmap has not been accelerated. I didn't think it would. End of August, apparently, there'll be some kind of announcement from Catherine Martin's team what that is, who knows, but with each passing day, people are getting more and more fed up. I was on the radio again during the week and uh, we were talking about it on The Last Word and at one stage, do you ever have those moments, like this is one thing, it's a podcast, so fair enough, like, you know, rambling is encouraged, but you're doing live radio and you're, you've got a big clock on the wall and you're just conscious, I think, of every little... The red st- clock. Yeah, and every little kind of um, stop and stumble, like even a, a split second of, of not talking, your brain just kind of like does some hurdles and you're like, fuck, I better say something. And I, I found myself there sitting in the studio and I just went, I'm angry. And I was like, what the fuck? Where did that come from? <laughs> righteous Dave. I'm just going to take on this persona of, an, yeah, a righteous, angry person. Yeah, Get well, me through I, in the next 20 seconds before news. Yeah, I did my best. I will say, Craig, I think you're angry this week because it seems like we got a bit of a bait and switch, a bit of a tease. And hearkening back to a great Simpsons episode where um, where the, 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 the paterfamilias of the Simpsons unveils his supercar, uh, this sounds like a similar thing. Uh, long story short, what's Frank Ocean up to? He's gone extremely bougie, Dave, and we're not getting music. I'm, I'm very disappointed, um, as I'm sure you are as well. Um, I'm blaming Zara Hederman, a super sub of the show, because she did jump into our chat a week ago and say, with like a, a caption um, from one of his IG stories, just of like quotes about this new project he's ready to unveil and how it got him through some tough times. And he has had some tough times, we should point out, lost in the family recently. Um, and we were very excited for this big announcement. And the big announcement came, an interview in the Financial Times, which seemed a bit odd, but okay. And his new project is um, a luxury company called Homer. Um, they're doing jewellery. <laughs> Starting price for the bits of jewellery. Uh, I think there's a silk scarf. I think there is a belt buckle. The belt buckle is probably about $400. And it goes way over a million quid. And yeah, it seems like pretty high-end stuff. I read the piece and he's a high-end guy <laughs> who um, was talking big about how, you know, he's known as being a recluse, but he's not a, um, averse to averse to sticking on millions of worth of jewellery and walking down the street. And this was like prefer- like presented as some kind of profound statement, like some like some maverick. I don't know. It felt very weird. It felt very show-offy. And um, did, have we talked on the show previously about my, the vibe I'm getting from Frank just as, maybe we, we did it privately, but um, I, I dipped into his Blonded show. So 
as um, long long time listeners of the podcast will know, I've had every streaming subscription known to man, yep. which included for a long it's very time impressive. Apple Music. It has to be yeah. said. One of the reasons I got Apple Music and jump ship from, I believe, Tidal at the time, also while m- maintaining my Spotify um, account, was to check out Time Crisis as a training show, but also Blonded, which is a very kind of infrequent show that Frank Ocean would do. And like, there's some great tunes on it. He would get on mic and he would, you know, with his gang of mates and DJs and I don't know, the links, the links alone were ice cold, very affected. And I just got the sense of like, if you were hanging out with Frank, he would be looking everywhere, but towards you as you spoke, not making any eye contact, wanting to be anywhere else. And kind of just bragging and kind of doing that thing where you're laughing at stuff that the other person doesn't get. I don't know. I got a weird vibe. I got a weird vibe from this interview and I don't know. It's upsetting when an artist you admire (laughs) seems like maybe they're slightly pretentious, but we'll, I guess we'll forgive him. Patron saint of the show still, is he? Yeah, I think so. Is he teetering? Uh, okay. Teetering, maybe. I, I like that you're kind of, you invoked the kind of Jude Law in the talented Mr. Ripley comparison there when you're like, you know, oh, when, when, when he's all about you, the sun shines on you. But, you know, when, when it's someone else, <laughs> yeah, it, exactly it gets, it. It gets yeah. very cold indeed. Um, <laughs> but you did, you took particular issue, though, with this interview um, from a kind of a, a classical studies point of view. There was a there was an error oh, yeah. that you wanted to point out and you did it on Twitter, but I think you should use the show platform to do it as well. Shame this man, Craig. He got it wrong, I think. Yeah, I felt bad kind of afterwards because it was a bit cringy and it was, a, am guessing, an honest mistake. I'm surprised no one picked up on it. But he was talking about the name behind the brand, um, Homer, and he kind of said off the top, um, it was, you know, short. It was five letters and the website domain was available. But then he went into a much more, um, again, kind of bougie <laughs> explanation of, and actually the facts that like Homer is known as like the father of history. And um, what I want to do with this jewellery is really capture history. And obviously he used, you know, um, paper um, or papyrus. And I'm going to use stone and the the living rock to get a bit spinal tap um, to really kind of make a statement and cement my legacy, which is all lovely and very high-minded and it wasn't homer it was herodotus the father of history the guy who wrote histories um homer was the poet who may or may not have existed but he wasn't the first historian and for some reason as i sat there on like a sunday afternoon thinking i'm never going to get another frank album again i thought <laughs> for god's sake it was herodotus <laughs> You gotta take what you can I'm get. I'm having a breakdown. I need no, this annual. It's okay. Case. It's okay. Don't worry about it. He is still the patron saint of the show, but maybe he's not godlike. Maybe he's not infallible. Um, I mean, the I'm least sorry. he could do is release some new music. Someone who released music this year that we very much enjoyed, Tyler the Creator. And we, of course, I think every time we talk about him, Craig always likes to mention the chart battle that he previously had with <laughs> yeah. DJ Khaled. Um, and this is when Igor came out in 2019 and it took the number one spot over DJ Khaled's Father of Ashad. Tyler has been talking about this again two years on. He was doing an interview this week and he said that he watched DJ Khaled, quote, die inside after losing that <laughs> battle. <laughs> so, and said it was fun. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> or the standoff at least was fun. Can you give us uh, some, uh, like, refresh us in the background of this? Because uh, there was a deleted post from DJ Khaled back in the day where he basically, like, gave out very, very distinctly gave out that this album had beaten him, wasn't it? Yeah, um, he was, he took umbrage at the fact that um, f- the, the the kind of music 
coming from Tyler was mysterious was the quote unquote word and that it was basically kind of alternative hip hop and very artsy and you know creative and great whereas Khaled's stuff was custom built to be number one so why wasn't it number one damn it and he really went into a whiny thing of like uh, the since deleted post goes I make albums so people can play it and you can actually hear it you know driving your car you hear another car playing it you know go to the barbershop you hear them playing it you know turn the radio on and you hear them playing it it's called great music <laughs> just like it's called albums that you actually hear the songs not no mysterious shit that you never hear it um so yeah it's uh it's called great music i thought his line was it's the we the best music is not the tag he has on every song which seems to be his only input into any of his actual songs that he just gets other producers to make and other artists to rap and sing on and um i'm still delighted by the whole thing i think it was fun and that was him dying inside which was yeah um <laughs> great i love those david and goliath things yeah no it's good stuff i mean like tyler speaking about it this week said um uh, it was fun. It was watching Man Die Inside because the weirdo was winning. I was moonwalking in a wig. This guy had everyone on his album. Everyone. And he said, uh, like, a piece of me, a piece of me read and like that at all because I make music, but rap is my thing. I was already making alternative rap and not fully being accepted by the BETs. But for some guy to kind of indirectly be like, that ain't real rap, that ain't real black music. That's yeah. what it felt like. And I didn't say anything. I just let that number one speak. He said Khaled's ego had to deal with that because as Craig says here, his whole identity is being number one. And when he didn't get that, that sat with him longer in real life than that moment. I moved on. Uh, I, I like Tyler. I, I think he's the baby face in this situation. Uh, I'm not too familiar with Khaled's stuff, really. And the last time I ever engaged with him anyway was seeing him in a brief cameo in Bad Boys for Life. Not a bad film, by the way. Surprisingly good. His, yeah, his whole career is a cameo. Um, Whoa, I'm that's a good song. But again, that's good. You know, it's that's good. I like that. <laughs> Thanks, well, <man. laughs> I mean, are you really anybody unless you win certain awards, certain prestigious <laughs> awards? Uh, that's the real question here. And I guess it's time to give up uh, some congratulations to three Irish artists this week who were nominated for Craig, the big one. The big one, the Ivor Novellos. Yeah, we should really have a sting for the Ivor Novellos. We really, really um, should, yeah. This is maybe the most in of in-jokes on the show. Can you remember why the Ivor Novellos took on this kind of grandiose standing in the show's history? Um, no. I believe it might have been us t- talking through the history of it previously and being like, oh, it's been around since the 50s and Gary Barlow's won loads. It must be good. And it's about songwriting, I guess. So um, mm, it's mm. a bit different to all the other kind of the glitz and the glamour of... Grammys and well, I don't know if Brits has glitz and glamour but it's different it's interesting and there's two Irish acts up for one three actually uh, it's the Thinking Man's Award oh, really? yeah the three the three uh, uh, Irish acts are up there's Fontaine's DC are up for best album for Hero's Death yeah. For Those I Love is up for best song for Top Scheme yeah. and Emer Noon who is a Galway composer uh, who, oh, who cool. has done all she's up for a film score um, she has done incredible stuff and continues to and as a matter of fact ages ago I think it's about two years ago at this stage when Dahi did his documentary episode um, which I would encourage people to go back and check out. I'll probably link yeah. it in the notes of the show so for easy access. If, in case you haven't heard of Dahi, he did an episode two years ago where he interviewed three different people in the Irish music industry who are kind of doing different things and it was like about composing, whether it was for ads. He interviewed a guy who scored like Avengers Endgame trailer and he interviewed Emer Noon who has worked on like massive video games and, you know, is kind of like 
a one woman industry uh, in her yeah. kind of field. She's incredibly. I think she did. She do the Oscars a couple of years ago. Then she. I think she conducted the Oscars uh, like the the pit. You know, like like for whatever ceremony was on two years ago. So yeah, she's un, like she's unbelievable, and she's up for an award. Like I say, Fontaine's as well, and for those I love. So especially coming out of the Mercury thing, I think you know when we thought Fontaine's. And for those I love, maybe even like maybe at least one of them we thought would have ended up on that nomination list didn't. But it's okay because they've made the real list that matters. The Ivor novellas. We got to go there someday, yeah. right? Do they even have an award show? Like, I'd love just... to cover the Ivors. I'd say so. I'd say it's very classy and very low key. And uh, they probably don't let journalists in, but maybe we can somehow get ourselves in there. It is It is maybe the most British, even though the Brit Awards are called the Brits, it's a very British awards thing. Like Ivor Novello was... Um, this kind of like early 20th century composer and he, you know, he wrote songs like, um, like Keep the Home Fires Burning and like all those throwbacky like World War Two type songs. So there's something kind of cool and subversive about like, um, an act like For Those I Love getting nominated for a song that's about like Irish societal problems and saying fuck you to the Irish government and Fontaine's DC, obviously their whole modus operandi is that. So there is something cool and subversive about those two noms and Emer as well. Fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, one act that is now, as of now, distinctly less British going forward is British Sea Power. What happened, Craig? They dropped the Britishness. <laughs> they are now Sea Power. And yes, I did go to Spotify and check and they are now Sea Power. And there's also another band called Sea Power that must be very confused the last week or so. Uh, but I'm sure they've cleared it all um, because they've been apparently thinking about it for a long time. So the statement from the band, who are quite a fine band, it must be said, um, reads thusly, after much reflection and soul searching, the band formerly known as British Sea Power have modified their name to simply Sea Power. We've been British Sea Power for 20 years, an amazing 20 years when we've been able to continually traverse the British Isles to travel the world, encountering many friendly faces, not least in the band's remarkable audience. But the name British Sea Power had come to feel constricting, like an ancient legacy we were carrying with us. So yeah, they would go on to talk about how when they came up with the name, there was different lines of thinking behind it. It was literally about kind of sea power, the elemental thing that that has, which is, yeah, nature is a huge part of the band and their thematic stuff. And then the historical idea of, you know, Britain ruling the waves. But again, should be pointed out that was always subversive. Like their debut album, I think, was The Decline of British Sea Power. And they seem like very thoughtful, nice guys. So um yeah, like people have been taking kind of jabs at this being like, you know, political correctness gone mad. Um, I was initially like, I was a bit annoyed because this is one of the few um, things I can be legitimately outraged about, a name like British Sea Power. I can take umbrage as an Irishman and be like, how dare they call themselves British Sea Power? They should be cancelled. But now I can't because they've been <laughs> very reasonable and have changed things. Um but as someone in that position, I didn't really see a problem with the name. Did you? No, um, I've more of a problem with their music. I think they're bland as hell. I can't oh, believe you don't you. like them. No, Carry On's so... an amazing song. I it, love that song. Is it? I mean, like waving flags yeah. is dreadful, and like please stand up. No, I, I was genuinely shocked to see they were still going. I did enjoy the press release, though. I enjoyed when they said, you know, like just to be clar- uh, for for clarif- uh, clarification purposes here, this does not like block apples. Mean we have an aversion to the British Isles whatsoever, and of course it does also mean that yeah, like a lot of people come out of the wood work this week who previously would have never interacted with this band and been like you know what this is a betrayal this is treason um so yeah not good um they did i heard jan from the band on um six music during the week and um 
he gave a very good, you know, he was talking about the background to it and they'd been thinking about it for absolute years and their fans called them Sea Power anyway and chance that. And he said there's been some weird incidents where like they'd be, you know, people would be wearing merch out of context on the street and like the t-shirt might fold slightly and suddenly you just see like British power and they were getting concerned that like given the current climate um, they were maybe putting some of their fans in weird positions out in the wild so fair play I guess and also yeah the added bonus of annoying all the right kind of people or the wrong kind of people um <laughs> so uh my bluetooth earphones crashed out there uh i guess you know fans of british sea power came to their aid so if you got some double craig there coming off my laptop speaker uh enjoy that enjoy that bonus um but i'm back on it's oh, all yeah. good don't nice worry about echo, it which you haven't probably haven't heard since um donda baby was reverberating around your heads yeah well it hasn't left my head for for about two weeks um real quick bit of a drive-by, why not? Um, from one British institution to another, uh, the the rotting, uh, reanimated fucking f- death corpse of Eric Clapton, uh, a right nasty bastard. He, uh, he's he been give, given, out, given out about this week by Brian May. Brian May of Queen has uh, said, Eric Clapton's my hero. What's going on, by the way? Ed Sheeran referred to him as like his idol. Brian May says Eric Clapton's his hero. Um, but he basically disagrees about this whole vaccination business and said, you know, that attitude, of course, Clapton is an anti-vaxxer as I'm sure people know. Uh, that attitude, according to Brian May, can get in the quote-unquote fruitcake jar. I wonder if Brian May has like a Room 101 style thing where he just hurls people and problems into. Brian May seems like a nice guy, even if I don't understand some of the retroactive, does, yeah. some of the retroactive thirst I've been seeing for him on social media this week. Um, yeah, some people seem to think that he was a, a well, very... Well, he he's been saving badgers, right? He's, he's an astrophysicist. It just seems like he seems... Um, like a kind of retired, lovely older man that has really kind of um, adorable hobbies, but also is the guitarist in one of the biggest bands of all time. And yeah, him going against Eric Clapton is fantastic. I agree. What is, how is Eric Clapton his hero? I mean, okay, a talented guitarist, that makes sense. I didn't get the Ed Sheeran thing. I never got the Clapton is God thing. Just such a boring blues guitarist that nicked everything from, you know, old school bluesmen and then turned out to be racist. Like, yeah, I despair at the thought of Eric Clapton, but I delight in some of the quotes from Brian May. And we probably need the full line for the context of his uh, fruitcake jar thing, where he goes, I'm sorry, that goes in the fruitcake jar for me, which is extremely British and the right kind of British. Yeah, and also, as far as Brian May is concerned, further, uh, he's still talking up uh, Bohemian Rhapsody 2 that he apparently wants to make, which, of course, like he definitely would want to make that because that's when he'll get to come into his own. Uh, in his list of kind of, you know, his dossier of greatness there, the how Craig, let's not forget, almost died in a bizarre gardening accident. So that's another Spinal Tap <laughs> reference for this week. But we're glad to see Lovely. that he pulled through and he's doing well. Um, before we wrap up the news section, a couple of quick stories. Uh, Slipknot have been a bit of a running concern for the last few weeks. Uh, on a different note, an interview with Clown, which was conducted prior to the passing of Joey Jordison, so that wasn't a subject that was uh, broached at all. I uh, did an interview with Forbes this week. He was talking about like his business ventures and stuff. You know, uh, I've been doing Clown before. He's Financial a cool Times, guy. Forbes, it's got something in the it's, water. It, it's all happening, man. Um, basically, Slipknot are working on a new album, which sounds great. And Clown was saying that 
you know, they're abiding by COVID protocols. And the obvious joke is, well, they've been wearing masks for all this time. So therefore, like, that'll be easy for them, right? Um, kind of. Clown said, I'm not ever going to stop wearing a mask, COVID or not. I've been in this business 25 years and people are filthy all over the world. So when I had to be in the studio and I was asked to put on a mask, it didn't bother me. It was business as usual. I mean, I'm glad at least the majority of the world has been profoundly open to the idea of, hey, when you're going to be out in public, there's a chance you could be around someone with pneumonia, the flu, or just a nasty cough. Why not wear a mask to protect yourself? We live in a filthy world and we live in a world where people don't wash their hands. They wipe their nose and open their door and then you touch it. I have four children and I know what it's like to drop your kid off at school and they come home sick and you're sick. But yeah, highly intense process. A man with a lot of opinions and uh, it's going to be Slipknot's last album on their record label, Roadrunner, the one they've been on forever. I wonder if this means the end. It could. I hope it isn't, but it would kind of make sense if it was. So I'm hoping for one last great I don't album. think it will be. Really? Yeah, well, just a hunch. So now I've said it, it definitely is. Yeah, well, thanks for jinxing that. Um, in the and finally corner this week, uh, Dolly Parton, who of course, she was kind of a fixture on the show for quite some time. It got to the stage where I was like getting a bit sick of the Dolly Parton thing. Yeah, she um, never got a sting, so. No, well, there's still time. You never know. Um, she is doing something different this time. She is teaming up to write a mystery novel with James Patterson. James Patterson, if you're not familiar with him, uh, he's the writer of like Kiss the Girls, you know, the Alex Cross series. He's been around forever. He's the kind of guy who like writes these airport novels where they're like three page chapters, big words, they're shy. <laughs> he's a he's a billionaire. How many have you read? Um I've the never I think I read did I read Kiss the Girls or did I just see the movie? Um yeah, he's just like a pulp thriller writer who's been around yeah. forever. He's also like he's doing that kind of Hans Zimmer thing where like you know, it'll be like James Patterson on the top of the book. And then in smaller writing, it'll be like with Craig Fitzpatrick. Ghost written by, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, you read that one, yeah? How do you think I did? Yeah, Very did big okay. font. You did okay. Um, but yeah, so Dolly Parton's getting into the mystery novel game, Why Not? Um, the book is going to be called Run, Rose, Run, about a young woman who moves to Nashville to become a star. The source of her heart-wrenching songs is a brutal secret. She's done everything to hide, but the past she has fled is reaching out to control her future. Even if it means destroying everything, she has worked for it. Will you read this book, Craig? Um, no, I don't think I will. Apparently there's songs written based on the characters and situations in the book, though, so I might probably won't listen to those, actually, now either. Okay, well, just a further taste, though, of the kind of guy James Patterson is. I've prepared a couple of audio clips, both very short, uh, taken from two ads for whatever Alex Cross book was oh, out about 10 years ago. This might get me on board. It might, yeah. Advertising. But see, this is a different thing. I mean, like, like, I don't know if this is exclusively an American thing. You don't tend to see quick kind of like, you know, dramatic ads for books, do you? But like, they're all the rage in America, I suppose. So, Adam, please play James Patterson ad clip one. Kill Alex Cross? I'm James Patterson. Would I be crazy enough to kill off the most popular detective in 20 years? Mm, Maybe. James Patterson's Kill Alex Cross. The best Alex Cross in years. (laughs) Okay, Adam, let's have the second second clip, please. (laughs) I'm still James Patterson, and sooner or later there had to be a best Alex Cross novel ever. Kill Alex Cross. Is it better than Kiss the Girls? It's really good. Kill Alex Cross, the best Alex Cross in years. <laughs> I just feel like there was like like not a great dialogue between him and the publicity it's department. You really know, really good. It's really good. <laughs> so that's who. Do you reckon they had a copywriter for that, or it was just like have at it, James? Just say whatever you feel. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a certain knowingness to it, but also I genuinely believe he was like, I'm a fucking billionaire. 
you've got me for 10 minutes. I'm in my living room. Shoot the thing. Leave me alone. So that's what Dolly Parton's getting into literary bed with. I hope it's a good book. I probably won't read it myself. But uh, yeah, listen, uh, as noted, so that's the end of the news section, everybody. Uh, as noted, there's no album review. Adam, why is there no album review? Donda, baby, it's happening. Uh, but it isn't it's happening. happening. <laughs> so- Right. Uh, look, you know, you're off next week. I had to get my, my digs in. You also mentioned earlier in the show, Super Sub Zara Hedeman. Super Sub Zara Hedeman will indeed be super subbing next week. She's in. So I guess we'll see if we're going to be reviewing the new, Always n- great. the new album from The Killers, uh, which is supposedly out now, but they haven't released a single song from it at all, which is an unusual approach to advertising. Maybe they're going then the Patterson route of things. Uh, or, or maybe it'll be Donda. Maybe it'll happen. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, are, are you going away? Like, will, will, will you Skype in if if Donda comes out? Like, what's going to happen? There might have to be a Craig update if Donda actually lands for sure. Um, I believe I was off previously for Yay, right? I've missed one or two Kanye albums that we've been that have been kind of hotly anticipated. It's I blame Kanye, of course. Um, yeah, you just can't get a proper date on that guy. But um, I'm excited. It's it's sounding good. I've been listening to that live stream over and over again. And um, even in its kind of unreleased, uh, rough, echoey stadium version, I'm like, I'm hopeful. I've been, springs eternal. Yeah, it does. I've been trying not to engage because I just want the finished product. I've gone through this before too often, but I think it's appropriate that you have been doing that, especially in line with what this week's top five is. It's top five unreleased projects. Do you have anything to add, mm. Craig, before we get going? And I should note, don't worry, listeners, there was a news story this week that we've folded into the top five. So, you know, we're all over it. Oh, Craig, yeah. you go first. Yeah, as, in, as in, you go first, as in set the scene and then I'll go first. So unreleased projects, um, there was plenty of them back in the day. So, you know, back in the years when labels had great power and would kind of suppress stuff they thought wasn't commercial or too like creatively out there, artists would get stymied that way. Um, then you'd have artists who were kind of maybe their own stumbling block. Uh, I'm not sure if they'll feature, but, you know, Beach Boy's Smile was a big one, which eventually did get released. Rivers Como, you know, Songs from Black Hole eventually kind of gets released and he's been he's been kind of the king of unreleased songs that have eventually come out. And actually, this was a pattern, Dave, and I'm not sure if you found this as well, where uh, coming into this, I was like, there's going to be so many options. We're going to be spoiled for choice. But we now live in an era where everything is online. Um, pop music has been around for at least half a century, actually way more. And um, every catalogue has been kind of milked. So lots of stuff has been released. Previously unreleased stuff has come out. We've got a lot of the things we were waiting years for. Um, your MBVs, your Chinese democracies, if you're waiting for that. Not the concept. Um, Axl Rose's bloated, um, half-heated 2008 album, um, Guns N' Roses. So yeah, we're kind of at a stage where a lot of this kind of stuff that was legendary and kind of expected for decades upon decades has found its way out. I think of Radiohead and Lyft, that would have been in my list a couple of years ago, but that song is now out. So I ended up going for kind of more recent stuff. Um that still isn't out, that has impacted me the most, maybe because I lived through it. And yeah, that was my thinking. How did you approach it, Dave? How did you find the selection process? Was it tough? 
It was, for the reasons you've said, I think, I, I think that's a fair read of it. Yeah, it's like, because I thought initially when we decided to do this, I was like, what are we going to do for audio clips? And then it turns out uh, that wasn't a problem. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I have audio for everything. I thought maybe, you know, maybe I'd get some interviews of somebody being like, oh yeah, it's coming out in three years. But I was like, no, no, there's just, there are musical references to point to. Um, and because like initially I said we should do songs. Um, but then I was like, what, what about projects? I mean, because I think songs... Yeah, so like we're factoring in albums and songs here as well. Um, I guess we'll see how it goes. Yeah, um, it was initially a bit daunting. Um, there was a bit of research to do. Um, I found some great articles. Uh, Stereogum have an excellent one from this year about this very subject, written by Ryan Lees. Well worth checking out. And a combination of kind of going through that and drilling down and also having some kind of in my back pocket... And also, there was some breaking news this week, and with that, uh, Craig and I did what we don't usually do, and we kind of consulted one another and basically liaised and said, this is obviously going in. It's a given, Uh, How about we put it in the top five in lieu of the news story, and we can talk about it then. So essentially, that's what we've done. Actually, kind of a little sad hearing that, isn't it? Um, I know. That's, that's, uh, that's Chromatics, everybody. And the song is called Time Rider. Uh, Chromatics broke up this week. Um, at least 75% of the band did anyway. We can talk about that in a moment. Uh, essentially, an amazing band. Uh, an incredible band. One of the great bands of the 10s, I would say. And, 100%, you know, kind of, yeah. kind of your hipster's favourite hipster band, perhaps. Um, but just <laughs> My wonderful... My favourite band. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful cinematic stuff. Um, and so if, if, if you don't know who Chromatics are, they're, like I say, they're this almost kind of spectral, mythical act that I'm I'm almost a thousand percent certain Craig would have foisted upon me. I'm sure I heard them in the ether, but I know Craig's a huge fan. We saw them at Forbidden Fruit, like fucking, I don't know, eight years ago maybe or something. And it was, yeah. it was we, lovely. We kind of, as soon as we met each other, I think we bonded over them and that kind of music. And it was probably you talking about M83 and just that whole synth thing happening at that. The zeitgeist. We were all a part of it. Yeah. And they played in Dublin in October of 2019 before the world shut down. Got to see them at Ficker Street. It was absolutely fantastic. But yeah, they're officially no more as of this stage, it seems. So yeah, a mythical band uh, who are now going to go down in legendary lore. Uh, the project I'm referring to that hasn't come out is an album called Dear Tommy. And oh, tell us more. Well, <laughs> I haven't been waiting for that for seven years. <laughs> well, as recently um, as April 2020, Pitchfork had a story that was, you know, Chromatics released new tracklist for Dear Tommy. Um, and then kind of went through the timeline. They have their own timeline here, but would you like to take us through it, Craig? Because, I mean, like, talk about, like, this joke of ours is so in that we almost never refer to it anymore, but whatever about Frank Ocean and, like, taking a long time to release a project and whatever about something that may or may not surface, I think, especially this week, like, my joke when they split up was, I was like, oh, fuck, the lengths they'll go to to not release that album. So, So take us through the timeline, Craig, and why this album in particular has become just so kind of intangible. Yeah. That's a daunting task because it's so convoluted. But um, the cliff notes are that around about 2014, so we're we're talking about literally a year less on from Kill for Love came out, which was a really well-regarded album uh, that did 
great stuff for them. Dear Tommy was being talked about and it seemed to be something that would be an imminent follow-up, which um, never really seems to go well. Johnny Jewell, um, the kind of most prominent member of the band, who actually was a kind of late rival and was not mentioned in um, this most recent statement, was saying, listen, it's good to go. It's coming out next year and gave plenty of details on it. And next year came and went and another year came and went and as is the case with Chromatics and Johnny Jewel's label, Italians Do It Better, we would get kind of sporadic singles, um, typically immaculate, brilliant singles. And, you know, the ones that were supposed to be on Dear Tommy would be, it would be called out as being like, this will feature on the upcoming Dear Tommy. It's it's nearly done. And yeah, I remember when I was still back in hot press, taking lunch breaks where I'd be listening to some of the tracks that were earmarked for Dear Tommy. Uh, I can never be myself when you're around, just like you in films, some of their best songs. Um, and they would appear online and then they would disappear. Um, they'd be on a SoundCloud one minute and then the link would be gone or a different version would pop up, as is often the case with a lot of their songs. And this continued in that fashion for many years. Um, we heard a couple of years ago from Johnny Jill that he'd had a near-death experience, um, quite a traumatic kind of happening in his life that just made him go back to Dear Tommy and say, OK, I have to redo the entire thing. He, I think on a whim, burnt something like 25,000 copies of it. Um, It's also worth noting that we didn't hear much from the rest of the band during this period who were, I'm guessing, you know, Ruth would have been doing a lot of vocal takes for all of these songs and they were not coming out. When you say burnt, by the way, to clarify... Physically destroyed, right? Not like, yeah, not, like, not CDRs not, being yeah. swapped around at shows. Yeah, so yeah, because it, it sounded literally it, it, a bonfire. It almost, a dramatic yeah. bonfire. It almost sounded like struck with such an epiphany, he ran to his nearest computer <laughs> yeah, and just like yeah. spat the CDs out one by one and gave them out to the neighborhood. No, no, no. He the rumor yeah, was more the, Kevin the, Shields. This yeah, won't do. Back to my perfectionist sandpit. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, yeah. Sorry. Continue. I, I, I derailed you there for a second. It's, no, you know, the, the, then ironically, we got a new Chromatics album, um, I think two years ago now, Close to Grey, um, which I really enjoyed, but was clearly done in a very short amount of time and didn't have the big thematic draw and pull of Dear Tommy. We already had the album art for that and everything. We were expecting it. Um, so that came and went. And um, the most recent release from Chromatics, apart from the statement, um, the Johnny Jewel statement saying the band was over, um, was a track on um, the After Dark Tree compilation, which is just like a label compilation that Johnny Jewel put out. Um, and End of Silence is the track, it closed the compilation. It was a track that was supposed to be the closer to Dear Tommy uh, that came out around December, I think. And we should have known then and there that like, okay, if he's putting out the final track of Dear Tommy on a label compilation, we're not getting Dear Tommy. And thus it's proved. Unless it just drops as a nice little present for us, but I doubt it. Well, I mean, even the manner of the breakup was strange because like I say, three members who weren't Johnny Jewel said, you know, we are ending chromatics. He then had his own kind of side statement attached to that, or maybe it came later, where he was like, I'm very proud of all the work we've done, boom, 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 boom. And it's just like, what happened? I mean, your reaction to the news, I think when I put the story into the group chat was, oh, they finally got fed up of him. Like that was your kind of take on it. Uh, and there has yeah. been, like, there's, there's been talk of this guy who 
do you used to work at the label, a guy called Mike Simonetti, who on Twitter this week said that he's been asked by media outlets for a comment. And he said the only thing he will say is that he you know, knew this was coming and he's absolutely delighted for the three members who left. So it indicates a lot of bad blood. I mean, like, is he is is he too controlling of a genius? Like, like is he a Billy Corgan figure? Like, like, what's the story here? That seems to be exactly it. Uh, you know, the way the statement came out, you don't know what's going on. And in the current climate, you always kind of like expect the very worst. I'm thinking it seems like a logical thing where, you know, reading stuff fans have been saying that have been connected to the label over the years. He is um, extremely controlling in terms of being a kind of old-fashioned auteur. Um, he has been taking a great interest in the label over chromatics and the various kind of side projects and artists that are on it, which in fairness all seem... Um, while very good, slightly inferior to the main thing. And I can imagine the band just being like, what is going on? You know, particularly when you consider Chromatic started as a solo project, Adam Miller's solo project years back. It was like another five years before Johnny Jewel came on board as the producer. So for him to be at a point in time where he can't really release anything, we're guessing because Johnny Jewel is saying, it's not quite done, it's not quite there. I've got another three artists lined up that I've got to get the rollout sorted for. It must be, we talk on the show quite often about um, having kind of, you know, agency over your creative career. And um, if Johnny Jewel is this much of a perfectionist, it certainly seems to be coming in the way of the rest of the band doing that. And if they see no kind of end in sight for this project or it ever coming out, why wouldn't they bail? So I'm guessing that's what it is. Yeah, the Billy Corgan thing seems right. Just, you know, calling all the shots in the band. Uh, I saw that comparison online. I saw someone else compare him to Axel Rose, <laughs> which when I read it, um, Dave, you'll know why that was hilarious for me. Um, listeners won't, but I, I once interviewed Johnny Jewel. Um a really good chat for about an hour just talking about kind of old synths and like hanging out with Ryan Gosling and stuff and he was very generous with his time but he did tell me a weird story about when he was in the same hotel as Axel Rose and Axel Rose didn't come across well not that you would expect him to come across like that and when I saw someone compare Johnny Jewel to Axel Rose I was just like oh my god it's like either your indie heroes die or they become Axel Rose (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that was my experience this week Oh my god, what a what a saga and what a band. I'm really glad I got to yeah, see them a couple of tremendous. times. That last show Me on Big Street was absolutely beautiful. Uh should note before we kind of move on from this, which is kind of a joint number five, but don't worry, Craig has five of his own. Um you mentioned earlier in the show Nile Nine is doing great work at the moment in terms of writing articles about the state of the Irish arts industry and the help that it needs. Yeah. Uh he wrote a very, very good piece about chromatics today. Uh, it's on his site, it's an obituary for chromatics. It's a really, really good kind of potted history of the band and the timeline. And as well, for anyone who doesn't know them, hasn't heard them, there's a playlist there, uh, which is very, very good. Although, I guess we should say, something we only both kind of learned this week was the album Kill for Love, which is a great album and has some of their best songs. Apparently, Johnny Jewel behind the scenes re-up, like, re-upped a different version of it to Spotify without telling anybody and it's not as good. Yeah, so this was another, this happened apparently a couple of years ago. Um, I'm not sure, I've definitely heard those songs since and I'm not sure if I noticed the difference, but fans did and they were like, this is inferior and he didn't mention it. So if, unless you own a copy, I don't know if you can even listen to the original Kill for Love. So that's the that's the level of um, perfectionism we're talking about. Yeah, it's something else. All right, my number five. Um, <laughs> let's get into it. All right, this is an artist that... Um, 
recently sang about Kanye West being blonde and gone. A new album of hers was Blue Bannisters and never appeared. So I guess the two of them have more in common than you'd imagine. Here we go. Give peace a chance. Let the fear you have fall away. I've got my eye on you. I've got my eye on you. Anna Del Rey, yep, and that's Yes to Heaven and um, certainly a release-worthy Lana song. Um, Its inclusion here is on the strength not just of one song alone, but the fact that I've discovered in my research for this that she has a dazzling amount of songs in the vault, um, like seemingly hundreds of them. And by in the vault, I mean, you know, Google Drives on her stand subreddit and on YouTube, um, as you pointed out earlier, Dave. So you can kind of listen to all of them. And it's pretty remarkable. Um, So you've got that. There's another one, Serial Killer, which I think people should really seek out, which is great. That was one that didn't make Born to Die, and I think it could have. This was supposed to be on Ultraviolence back in 2014, and I think that was superior to a lot of what was on Ultraviolence. And it's just very, very strange to me that the work rate is something else. Um, I think it speaks a lot to kind of who she is as an artist and ties into that whole conversation we've been having for years about like, you know, her aesthetic and the authenticity of what she puts out. And um, yeah, it just, figuring out that she had dozens and dozens of songs that as I listened to them all seemed to be nearly as good as all the ones that we have kind of made me think, okay, she's perfected her kind of aesthetic and the Lana universe so well that she can just do loads of iterations of all of these songs and they still work. Um, So she's clearly one of those like old school artists that has a knack for just kind of rolling out stuff. Um, You know, in another kind of era, she might be a a Carole King writing for other people. Um, I think the fact that she writes most of her own stuff... uh, without kind of big teams around her is pretty exceptional in the pop sphere at the moment. And there's a lot of stuff to check out and I'm still kind of diving in, but a lot of it is really kind of high quality. But it also kind of got me thinking, I was comparing her to like Bob Pollard from Guided by Voices, which I never thought I would do. Um, the lo-fi uh, run to the litter indie bands that could, that is Guided by Voices and Lana Del Rey. But it's that thing where Bob Pollard is one of the most prolific songwriters maybe of all time. He just puts out albums at a rate of like, I'd say there's a new Guided by Voices in the time we've started this podcast kind of thing. Like he will release five in a year, like it's nothing. And he's a great songwriter, but it gets to a point where you can't quite keep up. And you start thinking if it's this effortless to him is there is the inherent quality on the stuff you love the same do you know what I mean you start questioning yourself of like okay he's just kind of like this is like production line stuff and when I was listening to a song like you just heard there I was like it didn't even make an album and there's another 10 that are of this caliber and they could have been on the album um and we probably won't get them because I think she's only released three that she'd previously mentioned. They've kind of found their way into albums. So I would hold out hopes for Blue Bannisters or, you know, a song like that appearing. But I was just kind of thinking like, yeah, if it's this this effortless for Lana Del Rey, 
doesn't make me question the rest of the material. It's a weird mind trick that it was just playing on me all, all week. And I don't know the answer to it, but it's interesting. Yeah, no, I was going to say that an artist who remains a conundrum, despite being quite prolific and having a hell of a career over the last 10 years. Um, however, we move now to an act that I just don't really have much subtext to them whatsoever. Yeah, lock up your three chords. It's Green Day, and the <laughs> this is a, to those guys. <laughs> well, this is interesting because this is the fork in the road. Uh, this is a song called "Cigarettes yeah. and Valentines." That's a live version, I think, from 2010 or something. Uh, but it harkens back to a lost album by the name of "Cigarettes and Valentines," which was supposed to come out in 2003. The band had recorded it, or at least had almost all of it done, and then the masters were stolen from their studio or something. They like lost everything opted not to re-record it, instead buckled down and made American Idiot, which of course gave them uh, the second chapter of the career, made them bigger yeah. than they were, uh, turned them into a stadium, or at least an arena, maybe a stadium band. Um, and, you know, we can make the argument about whether that was good or bad for music, and I want to make that argument in a moment, but just on some background of this, um, it's interesting because like a lot of Green Day fans like still want this album. Like They mourn the loss of it, although eventually the guys managed to retrieve some of the stolen tapes and have since reworked some of those demos into other songs. And I don't know if it's something that they can actually do. And also my whole point here is that like, just sounds like another Green Day song to me. You know, it just sounds like the the formula that they have and it's just yeah. so not different to what they do. And like, fine, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But this is a band that I honestly, I think over the last, what are we now, like 17 years, really taking the piss with their formula like it's just yeah how far can you stretch this but they do stretch it they were of course meant to be on that hella mega tour which was going to be touring the world with uh, weezer and fallout boy they're still a going concern they're still making money and people are still turning out to see them and it's a shame in a way because they're an act i used to really love when i grew up i i, I thought green day were the coolest fucking thing ever i thought songs like when i come around basket case were just fucking incredible and i still there like some the of the yeah yeah <laughs> I still like some of the latter stuff. We've talked before about how, like, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll go to bat for Wake Me Up When September Ends, even though I recognize it's a, it's a very emo-y song. But I don't like the American Idiot stuff. I don't like that kind of phase of the band. Their most recent record from, like, a year ago is just listen once and throw it in the bin. Um, it's funny, though, because, like you, like, you look back on this, and Billy Joe Armstrong, referring to Cigarettes and Valentine, said that the album's material was, quote, good stuff. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> the, whole, the whole point of this was they were saying, oh, our last two albums have been kind of, like, slower and, you know, more mid-tempo, and we're going to go back to making hard punk music again. And I guess, like, you know, you can say that they did. You can say that, like, American Idiot, the single is in this vein and it is, you know, fast, you know, just it's what you would expect. But like, I don't know. I mean, like, are they the slayer of pop punk music? It's just unbelievable how they just keep making the same thing over and over again. And I find myself baffled when fans lovingly it's, refer to this as like the great lost album. I'm like, you just didn't lose it, lads. It's there. Yeah. Like there was some, you know, they embarked on some crazy left field thing and like the tapes were lost and we'll never, you know, it's, it's weird. It was it was such a fork in the road. I often, so much so that I often wondered 
were the tapes really stolen or was this a kind of band thing of like, okay, do you know what? This isn't working for us anymore. Panic may be setting in. At this point in the band's history, um, they were kind of like opening for bands. Like, I don't know if it was Alkaline Trio, but certainly acts that would have adored them were now getting top billing. They'd uh, People forget how much Green Day had kind of faded as the kind of 2000s rolled around. And if it wasn't for Billy Joe kind of discovering the American idiot thing and deciding to become the kind of punk Springsteen, I guess, and take on that, you know, voice of a generation tag, um, they would have been languishing. If this had come out, I think they'd be not a footnote, but certainly not this kind of like, you know, main tier American bands that they now are alongside Foo Fighters and other luminaries of the genre. Um, so yeah, that that always interested me, but just the music, as you say, it's so by numbers. I think maybe if you're a hardcore Green Day fan, you watched them get absolutely massive. They were massive with Dookie for sure, but then they had the kind of slight underground period. If you were a long-term fan, an American idiot kicks off and suddenly they're everyone's band and they're painted as commercial punk. How do you kind of reinforce your credentials as a hardcore fan and their kind of DIY roots and stuff you kind of build up a myth and you grasp the stuff that people might know about so suddenly Cigarettes and Valentines becomes oh yeah man the one that got away that project that you know people in the know you know if you know you know (laughs) and I think that's people have been using it as a crutch to make Green Day more interesting when you're a fan yeah I think that's very well argued real quick are they good or bad? Is it that simple? I kind of, like, researching it this oh. week and going down this rabbit hole actually made me long for the good Green Day, because there is good Green Day. I kind of want to make a playlist, Yeah, maybe, there is. But they're just, as you say, like, the last, like, the vast majority of their output, and they put out too much stuff. Like, it's just so forgettable. Because they have that's, some classics, story, you know, I don't know. They do. And that story we recently heard of James Gandolfini on the set of The Sopranos, um, wearing out a vinyl copy of Dookie <laughs> on set is just like, yeah, we need Green Day around for that story alone. So a, go- a force for good overall. All right. My number four, um, and I'm really getting into the weeds and the spirit of unreleased projects with a clip from like an old, old camera phone recorded in like clandestine fashion uh, as the artist played a beat in a studio for a room full of people. Here we go. Kind of unmistakably Dr. Dre as a beat, um, even though it was just crummy quality. And yeah, sounds like one of those productions that could have been a big hit. It hasn't come out. It was one of the many, many songs that was supposed to be on Detox, um, which whether you're a fan of Dr. Dre or not, I think is really captivating as a story, just as the fact that it's been going on for so long. It's been in the works since about 2002. Um, So like, you know, now maybe a third of the life of hip hop. 
if you look at the people that have been involved, the whole story behind it reads like a parallel history of hip hop in the 21st century. And another one of these cases of like the artist being like, okay, um, putting out a huge album and then quickly being like, yeah, working on the follow up, a detox coming soon. 2002, we've got it for you. Um, so yeah, 2001 came out um, in 1999, as a lot of rappers tend to forget when they do lyrics about it being 2001 and listening to 2001 as it had just come out. Are you, uh, are, are you that taking... a very specific diss Are you at taking the game. a shot? <laughs> no, uh, and also at God Knows, like friend God, of the show. God Knows. Are you taking a shot at well. God Knows? I've done that on the show before and I will do it to him in person because <laughs> it worked for those bars, but you're playing with the history, all right? That is not how it happens. just want to add, by the way, just, well, just while you're dragging the man down, I should Herodotus. note. I should note. I should note. Uh, for balance, I will say God Knows looked amazing when he was literally on fire fire on the Sunday Independent Life magazine oh, there at the weekend. Shot. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wow. always looks amazing, though, I, I, even when he's not on fire. Jesus Craig, fucking hell, man. That's like, wow. I mean, fair enough. God knows if you're listening. I didn't say that. I think you're great. Craig apparently has... Get in touch. Yeah. Let's talk it out. <laughs> but yeah, Listen, detox. if it works in the bar, you've got to serve the bar. Um, as Dr. Dre has done for decades. <laughs> um, the whole story around detox was... Um, him just getting distracted by other projects, right? So when work started on it, he was on top of the world. Um, 2001 was absolutely massive. Eminem had broken. Uh, he'd been producing his albums and giving him, I guess, his best beats. And around about the time he started talking up Detox, um, 50 Cent came on the scene. And suddenly, as people waited for Detox, it became clear that he had then given the best beats on Detox to 50 Cent. Um, so stuff like In the Club would have been on Detox at a certain point in time. And you just have this pattern of him working with different people and that kind of stuff, either ending up on their albums or him abandoning it to work with people or you know become a billionaire with beats or that kind of thing around about 2010 ish we got a couple of actual singles from detox i need a doctor which had eminem on it and i think kush was the other one um crack a bottle maybe as well and you know what at the time it was weird because it felt very out of date <laughs> and they kind of felt like novelty songs the production was great but it was like throwback even then um, and I think they were kind of big hits, but he got scared at the kind of critical shooing um, they got. So he went back to the drawing board and started working with more newer artists. And now you're getting into a stage where you're, there's talk of Kanye West working with him, um, the likes of Drake just being in his orbit. And suddenly then, <laughs> what, 2014... Um, the Straight Outta Compton movie is in the works. He's doing the soundtrack. Is Detox coming? No, he's doing a completely different album. <laughs> he releases Compton, which I loved at the time, um, which was very kind of modern in its sound, which upset a lot of people, but I think was the right call. And he said, 2015, Detox is not happening because I do not like that album. Um, and then bring the story fully up to date. Uh, Dr. Dre had an aneurysm at the start of the year. Um, he seems to be recovering fine. He's back in the studio now and his collaborators are posting pics of him in the studio with hashtag Detox21, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I added the baby for effect. But it's, yeah, whether or not it's actually ever going to happen or it's just become this catch-all for anything he's working on. Um, 
I find it a really interesting story, particularly when you look at like the, you know, his collaborators over the years, the likes of Snoop Dogg, they will come out every couple of years and be like, you know, there's a quote from Snoop just being like, the record's real. It's coming. I'm telling you. Like he's just seen Bigfoot or something or aliens. He's like, I was starting to doubt it myself. And then I went up there and he played so much music for me. It knocked my head off. And, you know, the likes of Scott Storch will be like, I think it's the most advanced rap album musically and lyrically we'll probably ever have the chance to listen to <laughs> if we ever get the chance. <laughs> and you just hear all this kind of hyperbole. And I don't think it can live up to it. I don't think it will. I, I'm not sure it'll come out. And I kind of don't want to hear it at this point. But in terms of mythic albums, we talked about earlier on, like Smiles Out, MBV's Out. So many albums have landed. This one hasn't, and I don't think it will. I think it's the last kind of mythic, unreleased album standing of that kind of stature. Okay. Um, yeah. And also, I was I, I would have bet money on that being in your top five. So I'm glad to see that it showed up because I didn't pick it. So what I have <laughs> picked next, though, uh, is, an, is an album that I'm, I'm convinced does not exist never existed, never will exist, and is just more so than the Green Day one, talked up by not just the fans, but four young men from Dublin, Ireland. you too there and that song is called soon kind of a bit beatlesy maybe possibly um at least at yeah. the start Those um, harmonies. yeah so that's a song that does exist and it came out on the 30th of june 2010 and it was released for two days only and it was released exclusively to subscribers of u2.com you couldn't download it you had to listen to it on the site i think they might have done like a, a, a limited vinyl after the fact but like it's this essentially the song had you know, it had its own place in U2 lore. It was the it was their entrance music, essentially, on the 360 tour in 2009, 2010. They played oh, okay. that before they come on stage. And essentially, you know, around that time they were touring No Line on the Horizon, I believe, uh, which was a fairly mm. middling album. It's fine. I, I wouldn't go back to it too often myself. Um, maybe there's one or two good songs yeah. on there. The, the weird thing about that album is I think there's a really interesting kind of ambient Eno album there but right in the middle they crammed in loads of what they thought were smash hit singles that were just varying degrees of awful and they kind of yeah they just bailed out on it yeah and I guess this song which I think some people thought would end up on a follow-up record because Bono was talking about there being a follow-up record and it being in that vein it being a bit more abstract a bit of a return to kind of the more unusual side of U2 and that album goes by the name Songs of Ascent and Bono has been talking this album up as recently as like the middle of the, of the last decade, like he's like, it's coming, it's definitely happening. But of course, they went another way. And the other way they went was to put an album on everyone's fucking iTunes in 2014, Songs of Innocence, I believe. And, you know, probably not a terrible album, but, you know, it has that reputation that kind of killed it immediately for an awful lot of people. Incidentally, there was an original working of the song Every Breaking Wave, which I think is a song that we both like. Um, yeah. Apparently the original version of that, which would have been on Songs of Ascent, was a bit more... 
like I say, unconventional. Um, and then Ryan Tedder maybe got involved and gave it a bit more of a conventional spin. I still think it's a very nice song. And the acoustic version that they've done on like Jules Holland is quite lovely. Yeah, um, yeah. And proof that you two can still do something interesting. But they didn't do a lot interesting, though, with Songs of Innocence. And then the follow-up album was it Songs of Experience. Uh, I, I think we reviewed this. And I don't remember anything about it. And I guess the reason I've chosen this is pumped up album that doesn't exist or no. Can you two make another genuinely great album again? Do we think that will happen or do they just not care? Um, I think they have the capabilities. I think they almost care too much in a way. Like obviously they get distracted and Bono gets distracted by his various work, um, saving the world and not paying taxes. Uh, (laughs) I think there there are bands that are too... <laughs> too wealthy at this point to release a classic album because they can afford too much studio time. Do you know what I mean? They tinker around with stuff. They will, you know, The Edge and happy 60th birthday to The Edge, think this week. Um, he's a great man, but he's known to like re kind of mix and remaster stuff thousands of times. Um, and I think they just overcook so many of their songs. And Bono leads the charge in them constantly thinking they have to stay relevant and be in the charts. So they just make these desperate kind of gestures like the the, the iTunes thing um, and songs that sound like they're built for stadiums or built for charts, but they're not really just written because they're in love with these songs. So yeah, there's a great band in there, um, but they're still trying to be the biggest ba- rock and roll band in the world at a time when that doesn't really mean anything anymore. And no one's told Bono. Yeah, it'd be amazing if they just made a garage record, but they won't. So there you go. And also, I don't think Songs of Ascent will ever happen. So again, another thing for U2 fans to just cling to. And it's a cool little thing, I guess, but I don't think we're ever going to hear it. What are we going to hear from you next, though? We're going to hear a song taken from a leak that apparently really took its toll on the artist. Um, and it's this, you know, alien hyper pop future sound provided by a wonderful producer that we lost all too soon this year. Yeah, that's Charlie XEX with Taxi and the unmistakable sound of Sophie. Um, really craving a high quality version. It's just up on YouTube um, and it's not brilliant in terms of sound, but um, huge promise there. And yeah, like we're, we're fans of Charlie here. The vocal delivery is great. It's like this trilling kind of whiplash of like, I don't know, group chat exchange on a night out or just like hazy half remembered quotes from uh, you know the morning after it's frenetic it's bags of fun even for charlie and fans i picked it because fans hold it as a real highlight of um the unreleased um xex world from 2017 um which is an unofficial name that the fans have given it they've also given it cover art that is like your classic um pc music like windows 95 um vapor wavy kind of thing that works really well um, so this album was supposed to be Charlie's third studio album. Uh, it was due to come out in late 2017, just after she'd really, I guess, met critical acclaim with Sucker. It seemed like she was in the ascent. And the only reason it didn't come out was that there was a leak. Um, so all the songs were kind of dropped and 
the label um, decided, okay, this is never going to come out officially now. And she's kind of washed her hands of it. And she's talked about how it felt like an invasion. Uh, it was actually a hacker that broke into the computer and just released the stuff. Um, so a very similar situation to Jay Paul, who we've talked about previously on the show quite a lot. And he has subsequently, you know, released the stuff that was stolen from him and tried to take, retake ownership for it. But like that, you know, completely derailed him in terms of his career. It didn't derail Charlie. Um, I think when this show was like first kicking off, or I guess, I guess a year in to follow that timeline, we were reviewing her kind of mixtapes that followed. She quickly kind of got back on the horse, um, released Pop 2. There was um, Number One Angel as well, just really great stuff, but it was kind of almost cobbled together, but because she's so talented and the energy was so great, it worked really well. And they now stand as kind of like minor key classics and she kind of got back, um, uh, you know, to where she was at prior to XEX World being released and just kind of rocking her world. She said it won't ever come out. um, And she, you know, I guess time has healed some wounds because she's trolled fans by dropping bits of taxi or mentioning it in conversations and stuff. And just looking online at all the stands, they're just like desperate for this song in particular to drop. Other people, of course, are just being like, listen, it's not like ghost here. It's just the fact that everyone's talked about it so much. And I guess reality is probably somewhere in between. But I hadn't heard it previously um, for this week. And it is great. And apparently there's lots of great stuff on it. And we're just not going to hear it because some douchebag stole our material. Yeah, and fuck that guy. Um, I should say, I mean, like at least as you point out, Charlie XX has been incredibly prolific. Uh, yeah. My argument is that maybe a bit too prolific at times. I mean, I thought Charlie, the album, I thought was a big letdown. I think the quarantine album from last year was a step back in the right direction. It's really good. I think it's aged well in a short space of time. I do think Pop 2 is the best thing she's done. Uh, there was a time yeah. around that time when I was saying, I think I think she's just bulletproof. I think everything she does is phenomenal. And I think we were all raving and culling back on the show as well. I think we were like, like she is the future she is the present she is the everything yeah like, i think we're like the the next album is going to be i don't know a modern purple rain or something and it just yeah. hasn't quite happened yet no. but there's still time she's teasing new <laughs> to stuff make though purple rain no pressure yeah no pressure well in fairness though she rises to the pressure very well i think she's, she's a great, great artist yeah. and she's teasing new stuff so i'm looking forward to hearing it um all right Number two for me, um, I, <laughs> I was talking to Zara during the week and I was like, have you heard this, by the way? It's incredible. I was like, I'm not going to pick it on the show. And then uh, having thrown it on, having sent it to her, I was like, no, 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 hang on. I'm definitely picking this. I have to. Uh, in honor of the man himself, uh, on, a, on a list that is in honor of the man himself, I could not leave this off. Money ain't real. Time ain't real. Money ain't real. Time ain't real. Guess the what? You never get killed. Think of the dreams of it to imagine. That's Kanye West, everybody, and he is back. Donda, baby. <laughs> There's a live one for you. <laughs> He's backed up by a singer called Ant Clemens. The track is Law of Attraction, and it, of course, was a leak of the 
Yondi record that we didn't get. We did get Jesus is King yeah. eventually, and we did yeah, get a... Yeah, Dave, this came out. Well, yeah. We... <laughs> and it was perfect. <laughs> we got a reworked version of this, uh, which was then called Use This Gospel, which I'm sure people could hear a lot of in there. I mean, the difference is, you know, you've got like that wonderful kind of lethal weapon guitar. Uh, it eventually was replaced by Kenny G on a saxophone, which is fine. Um, I think Alan Clements was dropped entirely from the rework of it. He got in Pushy T and No Malice, of course, Clips, brothers, they're back together for the first time in years. Pushed, he didn't think that would happen. Yeah. It did. Reunited over voice notes by the sound of yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird, the Clips thing. I mean, like, essentially, there's a great quote from Pushed around this time talking about how jubilant he was to work with his brother again. His brother was formerly called Malice, then he's called No Malice because he himself became a Christian rapper. And that was a big deal for people, but obviously... It was even that was haphazard, as Craig kind of points out. And Pusha T's vocals as well in the final mix sound like he's on Zoom, the same Zoom that has kicked me off this recording about five times, by the way. I hope the episode, I'm sure Adam will make it sound absolutely wonderful. But just so you know, listener, Zoom hates me this week. Um, it's tough because I've, I've been trying to not tap into the unreleased Kanye stuff over the last few years. I'm trying to just take what we're given. But uh, a very Craig-filtered pick from me here. I remember you sent me this, the Law of Attraction original stuff. And Kanye's vocals aren't finished. He's he's you know, he's clearly just getting down the beat and getting down the rhythm and getting down the cadence and the flow and everything. But the, the lyrics aren't there. I still find that more compelling than what we got. And it's true of like a track like Salah as well, the original version of that. Yeah. I'm still going on to YouTube and I'm still firing those up. And they have so much potential so much promise so much spirit so much life they make me feel 10 feet tall i think they're incredible even though they're, they're not finished or anywhere close to it uh and even like you know i went back to jesus is king this week for the first time in ages to be like oh because like use this gospel like the final version of it i like it it's good but and as a matter of fact sorry i should note that if you go onto youtube and you look up law of attraction someone on youtube has done like a splice of the two of them and it's the greatest thing of all time. <laughs> it has like the best <laughs> of both worlds. And it's it's so fucking epic. But even like when he did that version of Closed on Sunday on Kimmel and he's got like the gospel choir and the yeah, band. Yeah, my Chick-fil-A. <laughs> well, that's terrible, isn't it? And like like that sucks. But that but but the more that song goes on, the better it gets. And then it has that big lift yeah. and incredible instrumentation. And then it's just gone and, and it doesn't work. Same stuff on Yay. Like, you know, I thought about killing you. You're like, the first time I heard that, I was like, this is going to be the best song he's ever done and then it's it's in there but it's not there and that's what drives me crazy and law of attraction honestly even the demo of this uh, it should have been one of his best songs and i should also say as well though like when it comes to to yandy like like i put it up on twitter this week i asked people i was like if you have any notable projects um people came back saying like oh well like kanye could be a top five all on his own on this one and for sure and um to shout out someone we shout out on occasion uh colin cahalane who works for housey records in cork he said uh, about Kanye like you know he was kind of like saying well look the Kanye thing is just so like it happens so often that like can you really kind of focus on that blah 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 or something like that and I said well you know there was these early kind of shots of Yandy made me think that it should have been a much better album than Jesus is King and Colm responded and said oh Yandy is very real and very tragic and I thought that was a very good way of summing it up <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. Um, so we go into my number two on that amazing line. So from um, a very present artist and my last one frequently releasing stuff, um, gearing up for, for an album and then the kind of rug being pulled out from under them um, to an altogether more enigmatic figure um, where it seems like the red carpet's been rolled out for years and they just seemingly never show up. Here we go. Is a law of attraction, Craig, is it? It's not. <laughs> I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Talk to me, I G G, about everything. 
making them stare You know I look good in everything I wear You see me over here, why you way over there? If you don't keep it hot, don't keep it fresh, don't keep it fly It's Cassie Dave. There's a Kanye connection, of course, because she was in what music video? The stronger oh, one. Famously, yes. yeah. And I guess tragically, she's kind of known as maybe the girl from the stronger video, or known um as maybe a bit of a one hit wonder herself, or known as like former partner of P. Diddy, but she is so much more than all of those things. Um that was two the morning and just still sounds so like ahead of its time to me. 2007-ish, I think. Um and a case of, again, J-Paul vibes where I spent so many years waiting for Cassie to drop more stuff and it just never came. Um, her debut album, this is Cassie Ventura um, from Connecticut. Her debut album came out in 2006. Me and You was a big hit in the States and kind of singles were dropping thereafter. It seemed like, there again, there'd be a follow-up uh, on the horizon. Um, Connecticut Fever, I think it might have been what it was, it was titled as. Um, but nothing arrived. Um, except for songs like this, just kind of dropping on like SoundCloud or being tossed out kind of willy-nilly like... I don't know. They were just such good songs that seemed like custom built to make her a huge star. And there seemed to be no, she didn't seem that interested in a career. I know she was um, pursuing a film career at the time and maybe still is. And it was always baffling to me that they didn't get a proper push and they didn't get proper releases. And it was, yeah, I don't know, like... Now, tangerines um, or rubies the size of tangerines being tossed away in some made up Michael Caine story of just like, what? You've got these incredible things and you're just so totally getting rid of this. Oh, these diamonds. Um, Rock, Rock My Baby came out um, as a mixtape in 2013, right? And that was great. And it was like, okay, here, here, here we go. <laughs> She's going to now take over the world. And then she just disappeared again. And there was like singles. I think there was Friday releases like two or three years ago. And they again sounded kind of great, but she just disappeared again. And I think at this point in time, we can read the pattern and deduce that she is no great um, want or need to be in the industry, which I guess maybe is good for her. And she's just getting on with her family life. Um, But we're definitely missing out. And there's songs like this on YouTube that are, Definitely worth checking out. I, I tracked down a Guardian article from 2008 um, from an Alex McPherson who was talking about Cassie's unreleased classic. And this was back in 2008. And he was talking about how, you know, back, back, back in 2008, the modern thing was like, you can get everything online. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> and the crazy part of... Um, <laughs> That is that my favourite track of the year doesn't officially exist. And he was talking about Turn the Lights Off, which is another brilliant song that people should check out. And you know how this is, it's this spellbinding piece of minimal late night R&B. He goes on to talk about it for like paragraphs because it warrants it. And then he mentions uh, To The Morning, which I always loved as well, which just is our kind of richest, fullest and oddest track yet. And In Love With You and so many tracks that you can kind of find but aren't out and she's an enigma and she could have been like the new Janet Jackson. I think the interesting thing about Cassie is like vocally, she's not really a Beyonce or she's not, um, 
a showboater. She doesn't have great technical range, but she always brings something really compelling to the melodies and her delivery and her choice of producers. And yeah, <laughs> it's not happening, Dave, but I guess we should just be thankful for the unreleased songs we got. <laughs> she could have been a contender. Yeah, we talked about her before. I forgot I what Top 5 it was, but yeah, it's it's a weird story. There's frustration there. And I guess there's frustration with a lot of these ones. There's definitely frustration with my number one this week because... I mean, I mean, the world is just crying out for this person to finally release their solo album, but apparently they didn't like their solo album, but apparently they made another one, and that isn't coming out either. It is, of course, this guy. This city's a trap, my partner! Under the lights of the choppers! Bodies loose for the coffers! Not worth the cost of our coffins! Stare at a future so toxic! No trust in the dust of a promise! Won't mark the name on a planet so they can be free to devour our options! All in Oh yeah, there he is. That's Zach De La Rocca, everybody. Front man of Rage <laughs> Against the Machine. Number one. Yeah, Knew oh, it. Oh. Knew it. <laughs> <laughs> well it was it was my instantaneous number one. Zach De La Rocca. Um so essentially, right, that's a song called Digging for Windows, which is produced by LP over on the Jewels. Came out in twenty seventeen, along with an announcement that the album is done and it's coming out very soon. That was four years ago. Hasn't happened. It's the announcements that kill you. It kills me. But also, this is a long time thing of his because even more uh, Dave-centric frustration now, he recorded an album with Trent Reznor and DJ Shadow back in the early 2000s <laughs> and didn't like it, so didn't release it. And it's just like... For fuck. I'm sorry for laughing. <laughs> it's painful. So, like, there's a song that came out in 2004, which was from the Reznor sessions called We Want It All. It was on the soundtrack to Fahrenheit 9-11. Remember when Michael Moore was a thing? And We Want It yeah. All is incredible. It rules. It's awesome. It's as good as the best Rage songs, or at least certainly very close to it. And it's great to go back to. And yeah, I mean, I guess he's just he just wasn't happy with the quality. He talks about you know when he left Rage Against Machine. He's like he's in two thousand eight, like speaking to the LA Times. He said when I left Rage, first of all, I was very heartbroken, and secondly, I became obsessed with complete, completely reinventing my wheel in an un, in an unhealthy way to a degree. I kind of forgot that old way of allowing yourself to just be a conduit. When I was working with Trent and Shadow, I felt that I was going through the motions. Not that what was produced wasn't great, but I feel now I've maybe reinvented the bass sounds that emanate from the songs. That was thirteen years ago, um, and then of course, like say he works with LP, of course. People will know. I'm sure everyone knows. Zach Larocca pops up on one of, one of Run the Jewels' best songs, "Close Your Eyes and Count to Fuck." He worked with them again on the, uh, the most recent record. So you know, collaborators to this day, and still got it. Uh, yeah, this is the thing. He still got it. I don't understand. I mean, like obviously, Rage have done a couple of reunions, and they were most recently supposed to come to Strad Valley in County Leash just next month, but that ain't happening, of course. Um, so Rage are back on a reunion tour when reunion tours get to kind of come back properly. I think it's the second time they've done it. I caught them the first time around at auction 2008. Um, and even with that, it's like, well, why don't you just make an album, lads? There's turmoil galore. Like, surely the inspiration is there. And again, for someone who is so renowned for their vocal dexterity, their signature tones, their incisive lyrics, what they stand for, how they put themselves across, one of the all-time iconic front men, that we don't have a solo album. And he's done other stuff. Like he's done like One Day as a Lion and like he, like it's not like he just disappeared. I guess he does disappear for a while, but like I, I'm just baffled by it. 
And like I say, I mean, the the idea of there being some Prince-style vault with a Trent Reznor-produced Zach Delarocca album is just for fuck's sake. <laughs> the very specific, you know, Dave Taylor's <sighs> torture. It's just unbelievable. I love he, him. He always... But come on. Yeah, he... He's kind of in the same boat as like an Andre 3000 for me where he's so legendary and people are just like, will you just do a solo album because you're kind of popping up on stuff and you're great and you've still got it. And I wonder, does the pressure of the legacy and their mystique and, you know, it's got to be tough to put something out into the world when all eyes are on you. Um, Yeah, hopefully we get it someday. Um, Cool. All right, my number one. Adam, I'm just seeing your comments. Copywriter was Tommy Wiseau. Um, oh yeah, that was the James Patterson thing. And bang of Mike Dean off that guitar on the Kanye song. Was it Mike Dean? I don't know. Let's have another list. <laughs> we are the same. We are the same. Money ain't real. Time ain't real. Money ain't real. Time ain't real. Money ain't real. Time ain't real. Guess the what? You never get killed. Think of the dreams of it's a magic. Follow your passion One day Your face The law of attraction Be careful What you ask for If I got what I asked for Exactly what I asked for Get yourself a get yourself a podcast co-host and best friend like Craig Fitzpatrick, everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's a wonderful thing. It had to be Law of Attraction, Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember um, sending you the link to this. I was on a bus home. It was post um, show record on a Thursday. We were awaiting Jesus as King. And you were skeptical, Dave. You're like, I don't know if he's back. I don't know if this is going to be good. And I said, Don't worry, Dave. <laughs> I've heard a leak of an early version of one of the songs that's going to be on it, and it's got the potential. All he needs to do is like brush it up a bit, and it's got the potential to be like a can't tell you me nothing it's got the potential to be a runaway the Mike Dean guitars on it it's so epic have a listen to this and um, you were like oh okay now I'm um, you know I've got my hopes up then Jesus King dropped the next day and I was uh, again on public transport coming home from work uh, on the train this time listening to Jesus as King and we're in the group chat with like Josh and stuff talking about it and um, I think Josh was saying you says gospel's really good. And I was listening to it. And I was like, oh, you've massacred my boy. What is this? What is this? When Kenny G came in, this isolated Kenny G. And I'm like, this could have been one of the top five Kanye songs. And this is what we've got. Um, it breaks my heart. So. Yeah, it's devastating. It really is. But you're right. There's all those like Frankenstein's monster versions online. And people have done incredible jobs of like stitching stuff together Dua Lipa being on one of the versions um I don't know it's just wild so yeah what more is there to say um Yandy I, I had a look there's been apparently at least 13 Kanye unreleased projects and there was a decent enough um I think a Wired article on it just pulling them all together there's been TV shows as well Dave that just haven't gone anywhere as far back as 2007 there was um Alligator Boots, which was supposed to come out, which he was co-creating with one of the um, Crank Yankers, and it was going to utilize felt puppets, and they're going to do sketches um, based on like Rhyme Fest's writing. That didn't happen. 
they filmed a pilot apparently that <laughs> didn't didn't happen he had a pastel clothing line didn't happen that was four Yeezys an abandoned HBO show in 2008 did you, did you hear about that Dave? no apparently it was going to be like Curb Your Enthusiasm but with Kanye in it Jesus <laughs> yeah um, they again cut a pilot which was twice as long as what HBO had ordered and it didn't go anywhere um, he was supposed to tour with Lady Gaga that didn't happen video game produce a yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to, to produce a Rihanna album in <laughs> 2015. Didn't happen. Imagine how amazing that'd be. Cruel Winter, the follow up to Cruel Summer, didn't happen. A joint album with Drake, never going to happen now. <laughs> the only one iPhone game, <laughs> 2016. This was around Pablo, wasn't it? When he was doing those live listening parties. And we got some footage of that game and the game was basically his mother going to heaven, wasn't it? And you had to help her get to heaven. And that didn't go anywhere. And then music-wise, Turbo Graphics 16 was going to be the Pablo follow-up. Didn't happen. Um, Yandy, of course. There was the Yeezus 2. There was Good-Ass Job, which was going to be the follow-up to graduation, but then um, he got his heart broken and an 808 happened. And then My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy happened. Uh, Watch the Throne 2, um, <laughs> coming soon, <laughs> September 2018. This is unbelievable. Jay-Z on the new album that's not out yet <laughs> is rapping about, oh, we might have to bring back the throne <laughs> on this fucking unreleased live version of a song I'm listening to <laughs> at fucking three in the morning. Um, <laughs> and let's just end it with some bonus Kanye. This is a, a song that fans have been waiting for for a long time. Here's like 10 seconds of it. It sounds amazing. It's never going to come out. Yeah, that's Kanye B. Never gonna hear that in full. Um, and that's Kanye West. Do you want? Do you want? Like, do you want two weeks off? <laughs> I feel like you might need it. Depends what happens with Donda, man. We will see next week. Adam, if you want to press the button, Adam, <laughs> he's, he's asking for it now. Donda, baby, it's happening. Wonderful. And on that note, I want to thank Adam. Uh, our wonderful sonic architect who finishes the job gets the job done doesn't leave things lying around Always does makes it all sound perfect um yeah thank you listener as well that was an interesting top five i think there's some amazing stuff in there even though yeah, it's not is. really out there which is just such a strange relationship to have but in fairness as we say you can find multiple versions of all of these things whether it's on youtube or dedicated fan forums the truth is out there, I believe, is what I'm trying to get at. So, um, also out there next week, Craig Fitzpatrick. You got a whole week off. What are you going to do? Uh, I'm going to finish the X Files, Dave. You know, you can actually go places now, right? You know, like you, you, you can actually do things. Yeah, I might be heading down to country. I won't give my exact whereabouts because obviously no one corresponds will track me down yeah. and it's just for safety reasons more than anything. Sorry. We have a very discerning fan base. And thank you, by the way, to those who sign up at patreon.com slash noencore and give us your support. It is greatly appreciated. And there is a brand new episode right now of No Ox Cord waiting for you if you want to check it out. We're recording a new No Popcorn this weekend and I'm hoping to get a couple of interviews done in the next few weeks. I'll see what I can do. Got some stuff lined up. But, you know, they could fall through. Anything could happen. Don the baby could happen. You never know. Next week on the show, Zara Hedeman joins me. Um, we'll either be reviewing the Killers or Donda. So I guess we'll be. Re- I guess we'll be reviewing the Killers. So uh, have a great week <laughs> off, Craig. I hope you have an amazing time. Thank you. Have a great week on. I'll be listening. That sounded vaguely threatening. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be listening.
Cheers, brother. Enjoy your holiday. And thank you, listener. Enjoy whatever you're doing. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be no encore. And we're back very, very soon. Good luck. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.